0: Principal Matters Podcast, episode 256. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about disruptive thinking with my guest, Eric Scheninger. Eric Scheninger is an associate partner with the International Center for Leadership and Education, or ICLE. And prior to this, he was the award-winning principal of New Milford High school. Under his leadership, Eric oversaw the successful implementation of several sustainable change initiatives that radically transformed learning culture at his school while increasing achievement. His work focuses on leading and learning in the digital age as a model for moving schools and districts forward. This has led to the formation of the Pillars of Digital Leadership, a framework for all educators to initiate sustainable change to transform school. Culture. As a result, Eric has emerged as an innovative leader, best-selling author, and sought-after speaker. His main focus is using research and evidence-based practices to empower learners, improve communications, enhance public relations, create positive brand presence, discover opportunity, transform learning spaces, and help educators grow professionally in the digital age. Eric has received numerous awards and acknowledgments for his work, and is the author of seven books, including his newest, Disruptive Thinking in Our Classrooms, Preparing Learners for Their Future. Eric, thanks for giving me the opportunity to introduce you to Principal Matters listeners. Please fill in the gaps on that intro, and why don't you tell listeners something that they may be surprised to know about you?
1: Well, thanks for that uh, mouthful, Will. You know, the irony here is that you know, prior to social media coming into my life in 2009, my my bio was one sentence, Eric Schoeninger, principal of New Milford High School. And, you know, we all have our own personal journeys as to, you know, why we change, how we go about doing it and what tells us if, if we're successful. And for me, you know, I was kind of plagued by the fixed mindset and didn't really know that I was plagued by the fixed mindset. You know, the saying is you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, as we think about those catalysts that empower us to change, it's how do we get out of our comfort zones and stop being afraid? And for me, my world was rocked, you know, when a student told me that uh, school is like a jail. And uh, yes, I just chased Mm -hmm. him through my hallways because that's what we did when kids broke our cell phone policies. But that student having the guts to kind of say hey you know what mr scheniger you're not here meeting the needs of us get your act in order and little did i know Mm -hmm. that uh, that instance with also social media getting on twitter in 2009 helped me change my whole perspective and outlook as to you know how schools should function for kids and, and the role of both administrators and teachers to create a, a relevant, meaningful, authentic, personable culture. So you know, long story short, you know, we transformed every aspect of what we did. We improved achievement in the process. Had all the challenges that most schools have, and uh, that led me to now uh, working with the International Center for Leadership and Education, uh, working with schools and districts all over the country, mm-hmm. and all over the world, on you know, sort of those mm-hmm. lessons learned, but also the powerful lessons that we are seeing from teachers, administrators, classrooms, districts uh, right now uh, at the, uh, you know, sort of hopefully the tail end of this pandemic to really create a, a better normal for our kids.
0: Well, Eric, I want to say a couple of things before I jump into the content of your book. First of all, thank you for the pioneering so much of the work that's happened in innovation and learning for, especially for education leaders. When I was a high school principal in 2009, you were an inspiration to me and to many others to start using social media for the first time. We were watching people like you and George Kuros and others, you know, pioneer into an era that a lot of us were just learning about. And I remember you coming to Oklahoma when I was still a high school principal. And since then you have been working directly with education leaders across the U.S. and the world. I mean, you, you spend most of your time now helping other educators and education leaders Learn Practices for Improving Learning, which is why I'm so excited about this new book that is available now, Disruptive Thinking in Our Classrooms, Preparing Learners for the Future. What an amazing time to publish a book in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm sure as you were like me, because I've written books as well, you, you start writing a book long before it's published. So I'm sure as you were thinking through the release of this book, you're thinking, wow, this is this now has an entirely new context. So in your book, you talk about both the science and the practice of disruptive thinking when it comes to student learning. So I would, I would really love for you to just explain for a minute, how have you personally been applying this mindset in your own learning as an education leader? Because sometimes I like to go there first and how has this mindset influenced the way you learn?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting going back to the opening points you made is, you know, when I started thinking about this book, the, the pandemic wasn't even a thing. And then the book became my pandemic project because that's when I really started writing it. And, you know, I I think as we look at not just the the pandemic, but also all of the major disruptive forces that happened and still are happening, uh, fourth industrial revolution, automation, artificial intelligence, advanced robotics, you know, how information readily, you know, this Internet of Things where we can get knowledge uh, anytime, anywhere. And, you know, for me, you know, I always try to, you know, having the ability to work in the trenches with schools uh, really puts me in a position where I got to get outside my comfort zone every single day. And, you know, as I define disruptive thinking in the book, It's replacing conventional ideas with innovative solutions to authentic problems. Well, how did I apply it? Well, living, working through the pandemic uh, was just a crash course in applying disruptive thinking, uh, not just for me to be better equipped to support educators, but also to go into schools and and really think and take that critical lens to the learning environment and ask ourselves, well, why are we doing it this way? How can we do it better? And what will tell us if we're successful? You know, the key point is this, you know, we do not know what the future holds. We never will, but we got to focus equal amount of attention on the present. And the main takeaway is don't prepare learners for something, prepare them for anything. And that's what the pandemic and all these other disruptive forces have taught us. So, you know, if we want our learners to think disruptively, we need to model that ourselves as teacher leaders, building leaders and district leaders.
0: I'm going to ask you something specific from your book, Eric, and I, I hope you can explain this. And for our listening audience, sometimes it's better to see a visuals. So if, if uh, listeners, if you can grab a copy of Eric's new book on page 30, you have a visual of four spheres of disruptive thinking: the comfort zone, the fear zone, the learning zone, and the growth zone. And how have you found those concepts helpful, Eric, when you think through encouraging growth—not perfection, but growth and learning?
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I think this quote came from a, a recent uh, movie. And it's comfort is the enemy of progress. And the name of the movie is slipping me, but it was the story of, it was a musical about Barnum, Bailey, all that stuff. Hugh Jackman was in it. I I can't understand why I can't get the name of the movie right now. But, you know, as we look at that, comfort's the enemy of progress. You know, when we look at the most dangerous phrase in education, that's the way we've always done it. You know, there's a perception that, oh, well, it's working because our test scores are high or our graduation rates are good, but does that really create a culture that's gonna prepare kids for this disruptive world? We also look at the other impediment to change, not just comfort, but fear, you know? And when we're afraid of taking those risks, you know, listen, nobody wants to fail. But, you know, when you you look at, you know, these famous failures like Henry Ford, I mean, he failed three major times and he never gave up. So I, I think as we look at comfort and, and fear, which were very prevalent both before, but even more so during the pandemic, you know, what happened was, I, I always say for better, because we know the pandemic was bad, um, but we can't dwell on the challenges. We need to focus on the what ifs, not the yet buts. But what we happened was, you know, what if we start using learning management systems? What if we create vibrant hybrid ecosystems And what we've learned based upon that image is the pandemic thrust us whether we were willing or unwilling, whether we went kicking and screaming or embraced with open arms. We, every educator went into that learning and growth zone by necessity. Now, the key is with that image is not to forget the painful lessons that were learned The progress that was made, the opportunities that were discovered that can really help create a culture of teaching, learning, and leadership that create learning cultures that are going to equip kids, not with the skills, but the competencies to rise to the occasion no matter what is thrown at them. But in order for that to be a reality, we need to live Thrive in those learning and growth zones.
0: I like how you focus on competencies, and you know, at the time of this recording, by the way, the greatest showman. I just greatest I, I showman, See, yeah. But, <laughs> and so I had to look it up too because I love that musical and it was eluding me. You know, at the time of this recording, Eric, we've we're coming out of a lot of the COVID precautions, but then we're also facing some new concerns with the with the Delta variant, et cetera. And so as I think about schools beginning to reopen across the U.S. and probably by the time we release this recording, folks will be back in mm-hmm. session. And I'm already sensing this tension that you know that the education leaders are going to be facing, which is maintaining the priority of safety, but also maintaining the priority of instruction. And so I, I just want to come back to the point you just made, which was how do we take the lessons that we just learned through this transition in creating options for kids without reverting back to practices that exclude options? Because I'm already hearing some comments from educators that are concerned about providing too many options for, for students. So I, I didn't even include this in my, uh, my show notes, but I, I do want to just pause there for a moment for your reflections, or ideas or, or concerns that you might advice you might give to leaders as they're they're still facing an uncertain landscape? Yeah,
1: you know, and one thing I wanna go on record saying is, you know, I've grown pretty tired of hearing that learning during the pandemic was a, a failure. You know, that really discredits all the amazing work that teachers and administrators did. I will tell you this, Will, I saw the most amazing practices implemented at scale in a short period of time during the pandemic. And, you know, as we look at that, you know, we have no idea about the Delta variant or now here in Texas, we have the Lambda variant, you know, but what we can do is still, you know, know, I I go and look at some of the school districts that I've been blessed to work with. And and one that comes to mind is Corinth, Mississippi, rural Northeastern Mississippi, and you know what uh, they were able the lessons that they learned that they are still implementing no matter if it's pandemic or not is you know they are ensuring you know equity and continuity with utilizing their learning management system canvas effectively you know when there was social distancing it didn't stop them from getting kids to collaborate and communicate, which is what should be happening even if we're not in a pandemic, but they utilized breakout rooms seamlessly. And then after breakout rooms, digital tools where kids were able to use their voice and, and really feel part of the lesson. Uh, also just finding that one tool, integrating technology with purpose when appropriate. So as we, you know, again, you know, we, we tend to rear back to our ways when we're faced with a challenge. But now we got to see those as opportunities and remember those important lessons that were learned. And, you know, pandemic or not, I think that one thing that we can always improve upon, whether we're a teacher or administrator, is you know, how time is used when our learners are with us. I think that was the biggest lesson learned. And it's not about adding more things. It's not about spreading ourselves thin, but you know, you thinking about how that time is used. You know, And a lot of my work now is helping districts go implement personalized learning through blended pedagogy, station rotation, choice boards, playlists, flipped classroom, because that's how you close achievement gaps. When we think about equity, what's not equitable, what's more based on equality is all kids doing the same thing the same way at the same time. Equity is all kids getting what they need when and where they need it. So I think we have to continue to focus on creating an equitable culture for our kids. But the one other thing that I'll mention too is, you know, what the pandemic really taught us was that face-to-face school is not for every kid. And if we truly want to meet their needs, having a viable virtual option for those kids that really thrived in this, that, you know, might have been bullied or or might have had anxiety for whatever reasons. I I think that's one main piece that comes out of this as we look to implement a major change. I hope that many schools will look to that virtual option Uh, next week um, in the state of Kentucky, helping a large district implement their virtual option for their kids. So, you know, those are some of the things that I would like to see that we focus on, but you know, don't do a whole bunch of things okay? Do one thing really really well. And what is that one thing? Helping all kids learn.
0: That's so good. You know, just this morning I was looking at a piece from the New York Times and one of the journalists had taken a photo of the newsroom which is still mostly empty in Manhattan. So these are several floors of offices set up with, you know, how in the movies you always see the the bustling journalism that's happening in those newsrooms. And, and I was just reflecting that, you know, so many of the schools we work with have been jumping back into school as usual, working with kids, but there's a, there are huge segments of society that are still that have shifted and may never shift back to a full, like things used to be. And so for us to consider schools moving forward, you know, the idea that we're going to somehow just switch back to the way things were before is really naive. And so I so appreciate um, those examples that you gave Eric of schools that have learned from this and are going to be better moving forward, trying to figure out how do we fit the needs of every student, which is so important. Something else I appreciate about you two and your book is how, um, specific you are about instructional strategies. Your book is just chock full of ideas for engaging learners. And so principal mentors and listeners, I just want to encourage you to grab a copy of Eric's new book, Disruptive Thinking in Our Classrooms. But I wanted to ask you specifically about um, some examples. Could you provide an example or two of sticky or personalized learning, because you, you, you use that term throughout, or collaborative. I know there's lots of different ideas that you share, Eric. So I would just love for you to pick one and share, share, share an example with listeners of what sticky or personalized learning looks like.
1: And as I get to that, I do want to make one thing very clear. Because, because we hear a lot of things and people purport a lot of these strategies to be new and innovative. They're not. What's truly innovative is how a teacher or an administrator takes an idea, implements it with fidelity, and it leads to a newer, better result based on evidence. Good teaching is good teaching. Learning is learning. Leadership is leadership. Those three things have not changed. What's changed is the environment in which we teach. We all learn, including our students, and we lead. As we think about sticky learning, it's what sticks. And there's so much research out there But what what I like is the use of performance tasks, which really goes back to the work of Wiggins and McTie. And performance tasks really embody disruptive thinking. They they put kids into a relevant context. You know, there are means of assessment, feedback, there's an audience, but the task is aligned to rigorous learning, how we challenge all kids to think, but also how we get our kids to apply their thinking in relevant and meaningful ways. And you know, I've gotten debates on Twitter about, oh well, good teaching gets results. Well, no one's saying don't teach, but when we're teaching, that is the adult directing the, the content, doing the lesson. We got to shift teach, you know, instruction. What the teacher does to learn and what the kids do. And when we think about why some kids don't do well on standardized tests, it's because that one size of fits fits all approach doesn't really connect with our learners that think, think critically, that actually think disruptively, I'm sorry. When we look at our aspiring mechanics, plumbers, carpenters, farmers, you know, our trades, that's why performance tasks can really help make learning stick because we can really put it into a context where they see the value in it. When we think about learning, it's not just kids telling us what they learned, but they should be able to articulate why they're learning it and how they will use it outside of school. Another quick strategy is just movement. You know, when we incorporate movement, you know, studies have shown that after some moderate movement, kids do well on, you know, summative assessments, so just being more diligent about getting our kids up and moving, especially at the secondary level, is really important to get make learning stick.
0: Thanks for those examples, and thanks for the reminder at the secondary level for kids to move and teachers to move. And, and I always like to remind education leaders when we talk about instru- instructional strategies that the best way – for your teachers to embrace instructional strategies is to see you model them. And so, Eric, thanks for those takeaways. I want to wrap up today's conversation by just giving you an opportunity to share any final thoughts, Eric, you have for leaders Um, as they are considering stepping into a new school year, you have lots of resources that are available. And I I just want to encourage principal matters listeners to also connect with you. So any final thoughts you have, and then how can listeners stay connected with you and your work and your resources?
1: Yeah. You know, I I think for final thoughts, I, I just want to thank every listener for caring about kids, believing in them, believing in one another, showing up, continuing to make a difference in the profession, you know, and, you know, a very powerful lesson that we learned from the pandemic was how resilient educators are. And a key aspect of disruptive thinking is to create resilient learners. So as we think about pedagogy, as we think about feedback, we always wanna keep in mind that sort of how does, how do our actions, how do our culture, really give kids that sort of competent, those competencies for them to be successful. And, you know, we always have to ask questions. Questions are more important than answers. No one has all the answers. If people look to me for answers, I tell them, guess what? I don't have them. I will never say that I do. Questions are more important than answers. We have to question everything and always, you know, look at Simon Sinek's work, the golden circle. Why, how, what? And, you know, empower people to not only ask those questions, but to find answers to those questions, because there is no silver bullet, everyone. That is the key. But what we do know is that you all, listeners, the ones that are doing the work, are the true experts. And as you look to transform teaching, learning, and leadership in your respective school or district, always understand that there is strength in acknowledging that you don't know and that you need help. That's not a weakness. That is a strength. Uh, I'm a very easy person to get a hold of. A uh, quick little Google search of Eric Sheninger will, will basically tell you my whole professional life. Uh, but I am more than willing to uh, to help you all in any way that I can. Uh, lately, a lot of people have been very interested in the image the images that I create to go along with my blog content. So anything I can do to help you uh please don't be shy but i will say twitter is my still my preferred social media space of choice and i hope you'll visit amazon to check out disruptive thinking in our classrooms Uh, honored honored to publish uh that book which not only my pandemic project but i think the main takeaway that i hope readers will get is it, it is chock full of examples from schools across different socio-demographic groups. And it's not to do it like those other schools. It's to show readers how it could look in their reality.
0: Well, Eric Sheninger, thank you so much for the opportunity to bring you to the Principal Matters Listening audience. And Principal Matters listeners, you can find Disruptive Thinking in our classrooms, preparing learners for their future at the ConnectED website, Connect Ed 2 ds .org, or go to Amazon and you can locate it there as well as several other books that Eric has written over the years. You can find him at Twitter at E underscore Scheninger and or at E Schenninger at Instagram. So Eric, thank you so much for the opportunity to spend this morning with you and Principal Matters listeners. Thanks for doing what matters. We'll talk to you next week. You can find other free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.